Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Sladke, um, and I'm just so glad to be here with you all this morning. Um, and how great was it to just declare some of those things together as a community. Um, my wife, Sarah, and I just welcomed a baby boy into the world in January. So this is um, our five-month-old son, Emmett. Um, doesn't that smile just get you? Um, so it's been such a joy to watch him keep growing and changing so fast and learning how to be parents. We kind of feel like we're interns in the parenting world. We're just like um, learning so much and um, observing other parents and, and just trying to figure out how to, how to be parents. So um, we're new to this stuff. And, um, you know, being a new parent is one of the most restful times of our lives, right? <laughs> Um, wrong. So we are, um, we are often exhausted. And so oftentimes we put Emmett down for bed and like 30 seconds later, we put ourselves down for bed. Um, only maybe to get up for a glass of water and go to the kitchen, flip the light on and realize, oh yeah, we didn't clean the kitchen uh, today, <laughs> nor the living room or any part of the house. Um, you know, there's dishes everywhere and bottles and pump parts and, you know, burp cloths draped over every surface in the house. And unfolded laundry all over and toys and all kinds of stuff. So um, oftentimes I grab my water and flip the light off quick and get back into bed. Um, only sometimes to feel like, did the day just get the best of me? Um, you know, did, did we do enough? I don't know if you've ever gotten to the end of a day and felt like that. Did I do enough today? Was I enough? <laughs> we didn't even get the house cleaned up, let alone maybe call our families or um, wish that person a happy birthday, like I'm texting them late at, at the end of the day, happy birthday, or even spend a few minutes with each other catching up about our day at work. It's kind of this slippery slope into feeling like, like, did we fail the day? Are we failures? <laughs> you know, what is enough in terms of being a, a good parent? You know, it's probably not a clean kitchen. Um, but will we ever get there? Will we ever be like a good enough parent to Emmett? Maybe you feel like this in a different aspect of your life. It could be work or school. Um, you know, am I working hard enough or am I, am I doing a good enough job or am I getting to where I need to go? Sometimes I feel like this in my faith. Maybe you've felt this way before too. Sometimes I get to the end of the day in my faith and I think, am I doing enough. I mean, I volunteer once in a while. I, I sing sometimes at church. I give money to the church or to other organizations that I care about. I've been on some mission trips. I try to be really kind to people um, to the best of my ability. I, try, I think I'm doing my best, right? And, and it's like I start telling these things up. And then I oftentimes get to this place of, is that enough? What is enough? I mean, I probably could get into my Bible a little bit more often. Sometimes we go a couple of weeks without being in church or we get busy. I know that I could probably reach out to that person and tell them that I'm sorry for that thing that I said or did. I've been putting off forgiving this other person for something that they said or did. So am I doing enough? What is enough? <laughs> Sometimes I even compare myself to other people around me, like, okay, I, I need to have a faith like that person. <laughs> I'm probably not doing enough because I need to have a faith that looks like that person. They've got faith. So Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians um, in chapter 2, 
verses eight and nine, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. Okay, so it's not works or something that I do that saves me. And then John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if this is eternal life, the end goal, am I doing enough to get there? Well, I mean, it says here that I just have to believe. So why do good things if I'm just going to be forgiven my sins anyway? Have you ever wondered this before? I mean, I believe in God, and it seems like Paul says that's enough. I know God wants me to do good things, but Paul says that's not really the key to being saved or to eternal life. So why are we supposed to live God's way? Why take an active part in this? Why do works? And then James comes in, and he confuses the whole thing and kind of clears it up all at the same time. So we're going to be in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We're going to be in James chapter 2 the rest of the time here. And this is actually a highly disputed piece of scripture among Christians historically, um, all the way back to Martin Luther, the, uh, the, who broke away from the Catholic Church in 1517. So he's like the father of Protestantism, right? And, and Martin Luther actually thought that James was contradicting Paul because of the passage that we're about to read this morning. He actually thought that it should be removed. He said, we should throw the epistle of James out of this school for it doesn't amount to much. St. James's epistle is really an epistle of straw for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. So should we read it? <laughs> James chapter two, starting in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have deeds. Can such faith save them? Okay, I'm gonna pause here because this already feels very different from what Paul was saying in Ephesians earlier, right? Paul is saying works won't save you. And then James says, is your faith really gonna save you if you don't do works? What do we do when the Bible seems to contradict itself like that? Have you ever read something in the Bible like, that does not match up to what I read over there? Or God did that in the Old Testament, but he said this in the New Testament. Like there are some things that are hard to maybe comprehend. So what do we do? It's very easy to just kind of close it up, <laughs> maybe walk away from it or ignore it, or maybe even become a little bit cynical about some of these things. But let's keep reading and dig a little bit because I think there is value in trudging through muddy waters. So James goes into an example next, and he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is it? So he's saying that if we just say some kind words to someone in need, it's useless, right? We should actually be helping them. He continues, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. <laughs> what does that mean, a dead faith? 
He comes back to that later, so we're going to come back to that later. So pocket that, um, and then we're going to continue on. But I think that that verse might be a key to understanding this whole thing. So he continues in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. And he replies, then show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. So James is kind of saying here, like you can't really prove that you have faith in God just by telling me that. But I will demonstrate my faith by the things that I'm doing. And then comes what I think is the craziest verse in this passage. Um, It kind of blows my mind a little bit. He says in verse 19, you believe in one God. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Wow. (laughs) Like even the demons believe in God. So what makes us different from them? Then he continues, and he has some strong language, guys. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he goes into these two examples. The first one, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So he's referencing this um, event in Genesis with, with Abraham. And God basically says to Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son who you love so dearly and take him on top of this mountain to an altar and kill him, sacrifice him. And Abraham did it. <laughs> well, all the way up until an angel stopped him from finishing the act. So James says about this story, he says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. It's like he's saying, maybe there's this other version of faith. If there's a complete version of faith, is there also then an incomplete version He finishes up this example and says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Then he goes into another example in verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So this is a reference um, to Rahab. She risked her life to protect people and that was a huge act of faith. And she was considered righteous despite being a prostitute. So I kind of wondered, like, why is he giving these two examples? Why these ones? And I kind of think maybe if he would have just stopped after Abraham, people would have been like, all right, okay, that's Abraham, though. And then he uses an example of of Rahab the prostitute and says even she's considered righteous by this one thing that she did. He wraps this whole thing up with this last verse. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James is giving us some really strong imagery here. He's comparing like a, a dead faith that he's talking about to a dead body. 
If you've ever been to a funeral with an open casket, I know that for me, when I see the loved one there, there's part of me that feels like this, this isn't really them. They're not really here. Like the person that I knew and loved was so much more than just their body. It's a hard picture, but I think that that is what James is going for, right? He's saying your faith without something in it to give it life is dead. A living faith is way more than just what it looks like on the outside. So, okay, this is like dense stuff. There's so much here. So after reading through all of this, there's a few big questions that stand out to me that I want to talk through. So the first one is, there are different kinds of faith? Question mark. <laughs> I didn't ever think about that before. The second is like, what are works? You're talking about these acts or these deeds or these works. What are they? And then why should we do them? Why should we do works? So let's start with, there are different kinds of faith, question mark. (laughs) James talks about these two kinds of faith, this living faith and then this dead faith, or this complete faith and this incomplete faith. I have never thought about that before. Faith is just faith. I don't know. (laughs) There's like a spectrum of things or there's versions of it. Something that I want to point out as I've read through this is that James never said that if we don't do works, then we don't have faith at all. Back at the very beginning in verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Can that kind of faith save them? Okay, so I want to use an example to illustrate this. And now this is just a hypothetical story, okay? This hasn't really happened. Um, but let's just pretend. Uh, I, my friend Jeff Mickey right here is uh, passionate about running, okay? So let's say that I want to run a marathon this fall, and I don't even know where to begin. So I go to Jeff and I say, Jeff, come, come on, can you help me <laughs> like, prepare for this marathon? And he says, okay, well, a couple other people have said that they're interested in that. So what if we just got a group together and um, I will, can I teach you some things and, and some tactics and some skills and then you guys can go train and, and get prepared for this marathon. So we get to this first, that's like a weekly meeting. We get to this first meeting and, and Jeff has this, you know, we are the champions is playing and it's all encouraging and inspiring and we're getting pumped up and... And then he kind of starts to talk about some tactical things that we need to know, right? About pacing ourselves and we got to have the right gear. We need to have shoes that have the right kind of support. I didn't know that there was different kinds of shoes and support. Um, The marathon that I'm going to run is in the fall, so it might be kind of chilly. So he recommends a really good pair of running tights. Um, Not only are they warm and aerodynamic, but they look amazing on everybody who wears them. You know, drink plenty of water, stay hydrated. So he's got all these great tips for us. And then he shares some stories of his own personal experience, right? Some times where he, he succeeded, sometimes maybe where he failed and how he overcame that. And I just left this first meeting so inspired. I'm like, I'm going to run this marathon. I can't wait. So I go home and I buy the shoes and I order the tights. And I post a, pic- a picture of my shoes on Instagram. And it changed my Instagram bio to say, Andrew Sladkey, follower of Jesus, runner, <laughs> 
I actually didn't find much time to run that week, okay? But then I went back the next week to the meeting, the informational meeting, and I felt super encouraged again. I learned a lot. And then the day of the marathon comes. And I feel, I feel like I, I'm ready, okay? I'm standing at the starting line. The shotgun start goes off. And I make it one mile. And my legs start cramping up. And I kind of start feeling like I'm going to be sick. And then I just collapsed. And I'm thinking, man, what happened? I went to every single informational meeting about running. <laughs> hmm, I wonder if this is because I never actually trained for the marathon. <laughs> okay, so here's how I think this illustration connects. Remember that crazy verse about the demons believing? James is saying the demons believe, right? They acknowledge God's existence, but they have a dead faith. In other words, they're doing nothing that actually agrees with or aligns with who God is and what God wants for this world and for us. They have all the knowledge of him, but they do not follow him. I can go to Jeff's weekly runner meeting and get inspired, but if I never actually lace up my shoes and step out my front door and apply what I've learned, then I'm not a runner. I just know about running. In the same way, we can come to church every week and feel inspired and gain all the knowledge about who God is, and that is a good thing. But if we never then close our Bibles up, and step out our front door and apply what we have learned, then we're not actually following Jesus. We're just knowing about him. So I think what James is saying here is that we have to go beyond just believing that God exists to fully trusting him. I, th I think this is the difference between like this dead faith that he's talking about and this living faith that he's talking about. A dead faith, one where I simply acknowledge God's existence it's faith, I believe, but that's the line, right? <laughs> and then one where I'm actually living it out, a living faith where I'm actually living out the things that he's asked me to do. It's the difference, I think, between believing that something and believing in something. I can believe that it's good to recycle and use less waste and, and, and it's, that's good for the world. Great, people can do that. <laughs> But if I actually believe in a world, right, where there's less waste and pollution, like won't I maybe take part in that or take some small step in getting us there? This concept of talking about faith, um, it's a big concept, okay? And I wanna speak for just a minute to the person who maybe isn't sure what they believe or if they believe. Like, what if you don't even know if you have faith to begin with? Like, we're talking about this topic. I don't even know where I'm at. I want you to consider for just a moment that James doesn't specify in this passage whether the faith part or the action part has to come first. What if, back to the running example, what if I went to Jeff's running meeting and still left feeling a little bit skeptical about the whole thing? But I laced up my shoes and went for that first run and gave it a fair shot. 
If I kept doing that, even if I doubted that I could run the full marathon, but I kept trying, I probably would have been able to get further than a mile. I probably would have finished the marathon. And I wonder if I finished that first marathon, if I thought maybe I could do it again. I'm not sure... uh, I'm not sure if where you're at, right? If you're feeling like, I'm not sure what I believe or if I have this faith that James is even talking about. I think his argument is pointing toward the idea that we may never fully experience that if we don't take part in something and, and, and do something, right? And we certainly will never collect enough knowledge or know enough about Jesus to believe or have faith. That's the definition of faith, <laughs> is not knowing, and taking a step anyway. Okay, so there's these two kind of versions of faith. And to have a living version or or a complete version of faith, we need to do these things called works. So what are works? In verse 22, James um, says about Abraham in that example, he said, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Abraham took a leap of faith, huge leap of faith, when he brought his son Isaac to the altar to be killed. It would have been one thing for Abraham to say, yeah, God, you're probably right. I I know you know best. But there is no way that Abraham actually thought that it was a good idea to kill his son. Even if he said it. But when saying it works together with doing it, James says that is complete faith. We may not always agree with God, and oftentimes we think our way is best. (laughs) Sometimes I think following his way takes a lot of trust. Like putting putting other people before me. (laughs) So what are works? If we look at these examples of of Abraham and, and Rahab, what are works? Is it feeding the hungry? Is it giving? Is it praying for somebody? Is it forgiving somebody? I think it could be any of those things. But here's how I would sum it up and what I think James is saying. I think James is saying a work is any act that demonstrates complete trust in God. Saying that you trust him is one thing and actually acting on it is complete faith. One act, one act, one work that demonstrates faith. And then this kind of moves into our third question, right? Of like, why, why should we do it? We do works because they demonstrate complete faith in God, trusting that his way is better. We're not doing works because they're achieving something or they're checking boxes or they're working our way towards something. We do works because, simply because, they demonstrate complete faith in God, trusting that his way is better. Right? This isn't about quantity. James referenced one thing that Abraham did. He referenced one thing that Rahab did. And he said those things made their faith complete. And this is a really hard concept for us, isn't it? We live in a world where we have to get good enough grades in school to earn enough credits to graduate and get a good enough job and make enough money to buy enough stuff, provide for our families, 
We often feel like we have to have enough friends or enough plans to feel like we're even enough. Everything is about working towards something and earning something in this world that we live in. So it is incredibly hard to understand a concept where that's not, that's not a factor, right? Jesus came to make all of us who are never enough, enough. So James is saying we do works because it demonstrates complete faith in God, trusting that his way is better. And then if we go back to what Paul was saying, Paul is saying, yes, and we are still saved by grace. This whole thing is set up in a way where we will never get enough or earn enough or do enough or be enough. This whole thing is set up in a way where we will always return to our need for the grace of God that Jesus paid for with his life. Every single time. We do works because it checks boxes. It gets us into heaven. No, we do works because it demonstrates complete faith in God, trusting that his way is better, but we are still saved by his grace. If we go back to what Paul said in Ephesians, I actually don't think they're contradicting Paul and James. I don't think they're contradicting each other at all. Sorry, Martin Luther. I think James may have been clarifying something for us here. If we go back to that verse and insert the word living in front of the word faith, I think this is going to give us a really good picture of what's going on here. So that verse, if we do that, says, for it is by grace you have been saved through a living faith, an active faith, one that you're participating in. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God not by works. It's not about the works (laughs) so that nobody can boast. So when we have a living faith, Jesus is saying it doesn't matter if you get it right all the time or check all of those boxes. In fact, you can't. That's why I died on the cross. And because you have complete faith in me, my grace is enough for you. In other words, the works, the acts, the deeds, they do not save you. I do. The works give your faith life, right? They demonstrate a complete trust in me, something that doesn't come from just knowing facts about me. And then here's what's really fun. (laughs) In return, when you have a living faith, one that you're actually participating in, those very works that demonstrate complete trust in me and my grace actually make this world a better place for everybody else. They help to carry out my grand vision of bringing heaven and earth together. This changes the way that I even think about the word salvation or being saved. That's what some of these verses are talking about, right? But what if we, when we talked about being saved, what if we're not just talking about what happens to us when we die? That's where my brain goes. Am I saved? Is what's going to happen when I die? But what if God has a grander vision for all of us than get into heaven? And he probably does. I think he always has a grander vision than we do. If we take a step back from being saved as describing us just individually and look at this as being saved as a whole, then maybe, rather, saved 
is about the restoration of the whole world, right? God's grander vision as a world living in total peace and total unity with one another, despite our differences. That is a world that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And Jesus is inviting us to be an active part in that. Right? This is part of our mission. We live, we live in a broken world. We're living in a broken and a dark world. What if God is really trying to save us from us? From our own brokenness? And then this might be a crazy idea, but what if God then wants to use us to save us? And James is just saying, that's not going to happen if we all have a dead faith. If we're just kind of sitting idly by and pretending like we have all the answers, but we're not doing anything about it. It's not that God is like condemning us if we don't do enough works and I don't go to church often enough or get in my Bible or miss a couple Bible studies. He's not condemning us. Maybe we're just naturally dead when we don't do those things. Just like I'm naturally dead if I try to run a marathon and haven't trained, right? Inherently, I cannot run a marathon if I have not set foot out my front door. I think works, these acts of faith, can look so many different ways for different people. If you're like, what is my next step? What do I do next with all of this stuff? I think it can look so many different ways. For you, it could be this morning. It could be in the song that we're going to sing next. It could be as simple as putting your hand up and saying, God, I don't even know what I believe, but I'm going to sing these words anyway. I'm going to give that all to you. That could be a huge act of faith for you. Or maybe tonight at the dinner table, you choose to listen to somebody else's perspective and understand where they're coming from rather than speak your mind. This is one that I need to work on. <laughs> right? It can be a huge act of faith for me to believe that somebody else might be okay without my two cents. For somebody in this room, getting out of bed this morning was a huge act of faith for you. There may be something in your life where you felt like, is this day even worth waking up for? I'm taking a shower and getting dressed and getting my butt out the door. But you trusted God would prove you wrong, right? I think for all of us, this is a broad one, <laughs> I think for all of us, we could start by just loving other people well. This can start in our house. <laughs> With our brothers and sisters, or our family members, or our spouses, or our kids. Maybe it just slowly expands to the next door neighbor. How can I love my next door neighbor really well? This is our neighborhoods and communities, right? The greatest commandment, this comes from Mark, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength 
and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. God is commanding us to do something, a work, an act, to love people. That act is going to give our life faith. And sometimes I think it takes a great deal of faith to love people who are different from us. It doesn't take much at all to criticize somebody. We cannot change people, but we can love them. So Jesus is saying, listen, let me do the saving. (laughs) I'll do that. My grace is enough. You do the loving. You just do that part. And when you do that, when you take a step of faith and love other people, your faith is alive. It is a living and a complete faith. So let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and that through him, we are made enough. Thank you that we don't have to worry about enough and checklists. I have enough to-do lists in my life. God, paint a picture of your grand vision for this world. Keep giving us glimpses of the world that you envision for us. Help us know what our next step is to be a part of that. And thank you for trusting us to be a part of it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.